As, as we get into this, I want to reiterate what Carlos said. I, I hope that you find an opportunity to pray. We have these booklets. Just, these are just tools to help you. There's literally something to pray for every day, including an atlas of all the states of the Union. Um, and we have one book per family, so I hope you'll take one of these and pray as we, as we look into this political season that's upon us. Uh, with that in mind, recently I had an opportunity to uh, sit across the table from one of our local candidates for a public office. And so as we started the conversation, I, I said, you know what, based on, the, uh, based on the material that I'm getting in the mail about you from your opponent, I said, you're a terrible person. <laughs> and the candidate kind of laughed and said, you know what, if, if I did even half the things that they said in those things, I wouldn't be allowed to walk the streets, let alone run for public office. And, and that's kind of where we are, sadly, in our political system. It's really hard to determine what even is real and what even is, is, is fiction when it comes to to our candidates. And that's why some of you say, and I'm glad I'm never going to go there. I'm never going to have that public face. Some of you have been there, and you know what it feels like to have some sort of a public scrutiny. But here's a question I want to ask all of you and see how you would answer this. Have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been hurt or betrayed by someone who loved you or said they loved you? Have you ever been a part of circumstances that were completely out of your control and seemed absolutely unfair at the time? You see, that's where we're going to talk about in, in this understanding, because most of us, I would say all of us, have been a part of some sort of a scenario like that. Some of you, it's a memory. You can think back to when it happened. Some of you are living it right now. Some of that's right in the reality of where you are in life at this very moment. And the way that we respond to those kind of things is critical in even how the rest of our life functions based on what do we do with those kind of situations in our life. So that brings us to the focus of our study today, a man by the name of Joseph. Now, I don't do this all the time, but I want to encourage you to do something. If you have your outlines, I want you to write two words at the top of your outline. This isn't a fill in the blank. I just want you to write two words. These two words are going to kind of guide us through this story of Joseph as we talk today. And they're also two words that will help us as we deal with these kind of tough scenarios and situations in our life. Ready? Here's the two words. Forgiveness and faith. Those two words are going to capsulize what we're talking about today. Forgiveness and faith which leads us to where we are in the story. It's page 42 in the, in the book, if you're there with me. It's Genesis chapter number 50, and we start in verse number 19. And when we come to this part of the story of Joseph, remember when we met him a few minutes ago, he was 17 years old. That's how the Bible introduces Joseph, all right? Well, now he's, we are now approximately, if I did the math right, Joseph is about 56 years old at this time. 39 years have passed since we first met him till he comes to chapter 50, and a lot has happened in the life of Joseph in these 39 years. And as he wraps up that, that, this part of his life, he, he says some things in this, this passage, this paragraph, that are just incredible for us to learn from. And, and I read it for you. He says this, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now we're going to pack up where that story, how we got to this point and what he's, what he's talking about. But there's one, one question I want to pull out of this particular paragraph. It's right at the beginning. 
He asks this, am I in the place of God? Wow, that's a, that's a very powerful question, and it, I think it summarizes what we're going to talk, to talk about. Am I in the place of God? Now, the first thought is, obviously, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. I'm not in the place of God, right? I, that, that would be obvious. All of us would say that. But before we jump too, too quick to a conclusion, let me explain to you that there were some people probably hearing this that thought he might have been in the place of God, would have answered yes to this question. Let me explain. If you go back earlier in his life, Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh actually said to Joseph, and listen to what Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, which was the powerhouse of the world at that time, Pharaoh said, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Listen to what Pharaoh said. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And he goes on to say, and so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And if you move down to verse 45, Pharaoh actually gave Joseph a new name. It was called Zephanathaniah, which loosely translated says, one who furnishes the nourishment for life. Now think about this, because of Joseph's position, the fact that he was put there by Pharaoh, who by Egyptian custom was considered a god, there was probably a lot of Egyptians sitting around saying, yeah, you're in the place of God, based on who you are and what you can do and the power you hold, sure, that would be, the answer would be yes. In fact, the verse right before, his own brothers make a very pretty serious statement, verse 18 of chapter 50, his brothers came, they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. So I think they kind of thought he was in the place of God at that very moment in their lives. But Joseph, I'm going to call him Joe throughout the day, all right? So just get used to that. Joe, in his current position, is making a very important statement. He's learned one very important lesson in life. And I want you to grab this, and I think that we all need to learn it. Am I in the place of God? Here's what Joseph learned. There is a God... And it's not me. And the sooner we learn that lesson, the better off we are. Now, we may never say we're God, but we run our lives like we are. And Joseph had learned, I I know there's God, but it's not me. And that's what this question is is alluding to, the the fact what he learned. It's It's an admission of humility. He had not let the position of being where he was put there by Pharaoh. He didn't let that go to his head. He hadn't got to himself to be prideful. He knew his position But we also understand from this that Joseph was very aware of this this interesting uh, scenario we've been talking about. We have an upper story where God is at work and nothing changes. And then we have a lower story in which we exist and it's marred by sin and all the issues and problems of life. And Joseph is showing that he understands how the two stories intersect and how his life intersects with the the upper story of God and and it makes that kind of sense to him. Am I in the place of God? It's a very important question. And by looking at it, we're going to introduce two other questions that I think come from that, that I think now relate to all of us, related to Joseph, but each one of us, based on how we've been affected in life, I think each of us need to ask this question. And here's what I I want to start with this. The first question is this, who am I to condemn you for the hurt you've caused me? Or, Or you would say it very simply, who am I to condemn those who hurt me? Who am I? What is my place? Am I in the place of God? His question is this, who am I to stand in God's place and condemn those who have hurt me? Here's how we understand what this is coming from. This story, this conversation in chapter 50 actually starts back in verse 15. If you follow me back there to verse 15, the Bible says, when Joseph's brothers, 
saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Now, if you, if you were able to read this week, chapter 3, and you, so you, you've read what we're talking about, you probably understand why his brothers were a little bit nervous after some of the things they had pulled on Joseph. Why they kind of had a little uh, uneasiness about this, this confrontation with Joseph. Before we dive into that, let's take an overview of Joseph's life real quickly. Just to get you up to date, maybe you didn't get a chance to read it, I just want to make sure you kind of know where we are. Joseph was, we know he was a son of Jacob, but here's a couple of interesting things. He was the favorite son of Jacob, who was the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. Now, I don't know if that bothers you at all, but there's some, immediately some issues there. Okay, the favorite of the favorite. So there's some family problems that he already has. Many of you have heard, if you know the story of Joseph, he was given, depending on the version, he was given an ornate robe. You may have heard it called the coat of many colors, right? Joseph had this beautiful coat that nobody else, because he was a favorite, he got this. But understand, this coat of many colors had some real significance to it. It was a significant, and it was prestigious. It, was, it was, meant he was respected. It also carried with it the weight of probably meaning Jacob said, you're going to have the birthright. Even though you're not anywhere close to the firstborn, you're going to get the birthright. But it also was interesting in that the, the robe, the coat of many colors, was the word used, was one, it wasn't a worker's coat. A workman's coat would have had no sleeves and it would have been short so that you could work and not be inhibited. This coat was one that went to the wrists and to the ankles. So this beautiful coat was also saying, you're the manager. You're in charge of all the other brothers. Are you seeing any problems perhaps coming out of here? Chapter 37, just because of some of these things, the brothers, the Bible says, hated Joseph. The favorite of the favorite is now hated by his brothers. Well, there's some issues that come to this, but there are some things about Joseph that are immediately or throughout the scripture kind of recognized. And I want us to talk about those for a minute. As we look at Joseph's life, he's recognized for a few things. Right off the bat, Joseph is known or he's recognized for, for one, for dreams. One of the first things we hear about Joseph, verse 5 of chapter 37, Joseph had a dream. And, and we're not talking your garden variety dream here. It wasn't like dreaming that, uh, about the tomato that ate Cleveland, you know, or those kind of dreams. We're not talking about just some weird dream. These dreams were actually communications from God. And God had gifted him to be able to hear and have a vision of what God wanted through his dreams. But we know right off the bat that this, these kind of dreams got him in trouble because the first dream that we have recorded is his dream actually suggested that his brothers were one day going to bow down to him. Okay, so think about that, older brothers. Your little baby comes up to you and says, you're going to bow down to me one day. How does that make you feel, right? Think about the animosity that's already there, and now it's just added on top of it. He said, listen, dude, we work for you. We're not going to bow down to you. And the Bible actually says that they hated him even more for this because of what he had said about his, his dreams. But it wasn't just that he had dreams and visions from God. God also gave him the gift to, to interpret others' dreams, to be able to tell what others, happened in others' lives because of their dreams. In fact, one of the most famous is when Pharaoh, later in the story, the Bible says that Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. So Joseph is known for his dreams. Something else Joseph is known for, he's known for his integrity. You see, right off the bat, Joseph, uh, we know he's, he's taken to, to Egypt, 
and is Egypt, he's a slave of a man named Potiphar. And being a, in a slave, but Potiphar recognized something in Joseph, and it tells us in verse thir- chapter 39, Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph, his slave's care, with Joseph in charge. Okay, so Joseph, now a slave, he, he's literally put into all of, and Potiphar was a rich, very influential man, he's put in charge of all of it. So here's what happens. Joseph is miles away from home, he's got this extreme power, he's re- greatly respected, and then a great temptation comes in his life. Because Potiphar's wife sees this good-looking slave and tries to seduce him. And here was Joseph's response to her. He said, uh, she said to him, you know, listen, no one's going to know. It doesn't matter. Here's what Joseph said. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So Joseph is saying, listen, this is not right. I'm not going to do it. And she continues to push and push until finally one day he literally runs. And when he does, he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Integrity. Regardless of whether anybody knows, regardless of where I'm, I've been thrown here by my family, doesn't matter. I'm not going to do that. What I find interesting about these two things, the dreams and his integrity, is this was the right thing to do. These dreams were a vision from God. He was, this is what God was speaking. And, and though this woman now is tempting him and he does exactly the right thing and look where it gets him. Have you ever felt that way? Doing the right thing and it just seems to cause more trouble by doing the right. If I just would have fudged a little bit, maybe I wouldn't have had, been in this situation. He did the right thing and it seemed to just get worse for Joseph. But another thing that Joseph recognized for is also something I think that answers that question. He was known for the presence of God in his life. The way Joseph lived his life, others saw God in him. Three times specifically, listen to his master Potiphar, first of all, said the Lord was with Joseph, chapter 39. Later, the warden of the prison where Joseph's going to be put in, um, they paid, uh, he said the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. And Pharaoh himself in chapter 41 says, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? They recognized God's work in his life and recognized that God was with him and his integrity and all those things. All of that being recognized, but here's one thing that in my opinion stands above or at least equal to or above all the rest, and that is he is known for his forgiveness. He is known for doing, based even off what he has said, am I in the place of God? Now, in case you haven't been keeping track, let me just remind you, summarize some of what has happened in Joseph's life. Listen to this. His brothers hated him, though they plotted against him, because of his dreams, they, uh, they even talked of murdering him. So then, they, rather than murder, they actually sold him as a slave. That's where it starts. Then Potiphar's wife, because she was so angry at what he did, that she literally took that coat and she framed him, and through framing him, had him thrown in prison, doing the right thing, and, and his boss said nothing about it, right? So then we have, and, and to add insult to injury, later when he's in prison, a man comes to him with a dream, and he interprets a dream. It's a good dream. He tells him what's going to happen to him, and he says, please think of me when you get, when things go good for you. And when he got there, the Bible simply says this, and the butler forgot Joseph. Just forgot him. So we've got a man who's been in prison, he's been lied against, he's been forgotten, Now we come to chapter 50. Joseph is 56 years of age, 
He's gone from being a slave to a prisoner to now being one of the most powerful men on earth, second in power in the land of Egypt. Think about this. There was a, probably a lot of nervous people now. Joseph's in the place where he can do some serious getting even now. He's in the place where he can pay back some of the stuff that's been done to him because of his position. His brothers, at this point, the story tells us that they're already in a panic, if you remember what we read. And they said, listen, before he didn't do anything to us, but now dad's dead. There's nobody to stop him now. Now that dad's dead, he's going to take his, his vengeance out on us. The brothers then, if we go back in chapter 15, they concoct this scheme to try to save their skin. Listen, chapter 50, uh, verse 16. So they, the brothers, they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. And that's probably an absolute lie. He probably didn't say that, but he'd go on to say, and this is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. It's Joseph's reaction to that statement that I think shows us where his heart was. Here's how Joseph reacted. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph was visibly, physically upset because they did not believe that he had forgiven them. He was visibly upset because they did not trust that even after all the pain they had caused, he had let it go. He had forgiven them, and they could not believe that. After all we've done to you, we wanted to kill you, we sold you, your life went crazy. They could not believe that Joseph could forgive them. Here's what I want you to understand. It is possible to be forgiven, and it is possible to forgive. Forgiveness is a beautiful word when we receive it. But it's one of the most difficult words when we know we're supposed to give it. Joseph teaches us about forgiveness, about being in this place and what we do in this place of being hurt. Joseph has the ability to get even. He has the ability to make some, you know, really get that pound of flesh that he wanted. But what does he say? Am I in the place of God to condemn you? Am I in the place of God to take this out on you? I've already forgiven. What can we learn from Joseph's example? Just think about it for yourself. Have you been hurt by someone? Have you been betrayed, been hated, been lied about, been talked about, been sold down river, been whatever you would say? Have, have you had any hurt from anyone in your life? And, and here's what even makes it more, more serious. Has it happened from someone who should have had your back? a family member, a friend, a church family member, someone that you did something good for and they turned around and twisted it in your life to hurt you. Have you been there? Then you understand a little bit of what Joseph has experienced. Can you imagine the thoughts going through Joseph's head when his brothers pulled him out of that pit and literally sold him as a slave? Can you imagine the humiliation and the hurt and the pain from his own blood? Talking about killing him and ultimately selling him as a slave. Can you imagine the hurt when he did the right thing and the woman lies about him, uses it to frame him, and then his boss who trusted him doesn't even ask for his side of the story. 
Or how about the guy he did all the good for who just literally left him there to rot, just forgot about him? Think of the pain. Think of the anguish, the things. He did all the right stuff and people still turned and hurt him. Have you ever experienced any of those scenarios? Now, maybe it's not been to the extent of Joseph. Maybe, maybe it's a lot closer than we might even know. But whatever, the pain is still real, isn't it? The pain is still there because of what others and what hurt others have caused in our lives. And the last thing we want to do is forgive. They don't deserve it, do they? They don't deserve our forgiveness. They don't deserve for us to, to literally let them off. If, if there's some way... I mean, we may not have the opportunity Joseph had. I mean, he's the second command. He could do pretty much whatever he wanted. We may never have that authority or that power, but we still, deep down, we want some kind of payback. We want, some, we want to get our pound of flesh in some way, and, and maybe we don't have his ability, but we do find ways to get it. Often it comes with this, with our mouth. Oh, that ex-wife or that ex-husband or you know, well, my stupid brother or those crazy, my, my younger sister or, my, or, or that neighbor or that friend. And we, 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 words come out. And what it is, they, we may never physically harm their body, but we're doing whatever we can to get something to show other people how bad they are and make us somehow to, to get a little bit of, of revenge, a little bit of take back. Maybe it is words. Maybe it's actions. Maybe it's just the silent treatment. Maybe it's just treating them and walking the other way. When you see them coming to church this way, you walk the other whatever it is all that is to us is somehow saying i need to get a little bit even here because they deserve it they hurt me and they did now whether we say things like we condemn here's the point we think in our hearts we think of that person the hurt stays there we try whatever we can to, 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 make, to make ourselves go on, but there's still that pain, still that anguish in our heart. And it takes us back to Joseph's question. Am I in the place of God? Who am I to condemn those who have hurt me? That's not my place. That's God's place. And I'm not God. I realize that. There is a God, and I'm not him. So who, is, who am I to condemn somebody who's hurt me? You say, but I don't feel like forgiving them. I'm not ready to forgive them. Think about some of these things. Remember, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. You, you, it's, it's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's an ability to let, let it go. But understand this, not forgiving is also a choice. But forgiveness is a choice. Not forgiving is a prison. And you're the one in the prison. I, I remember that old statement. Uh, as, as I, uh, 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 let, me, let me read it for you because I want to make sure I get it. When I forgive, I set a prisoner free. And then I realized that that prisoner was me. Forgiveness holds you back. Forgiveness, uh, unforgiveness is what is keeping you from taking steps in your life. No matter how bad it is, you're still, when you think of that person's name, there's pain, there's hurt. There's, not, there's still the forgiveness hasn't happened yet. How can this happen? Joseph gives us this great example and you think, boy, I'd love to get there. But here's my question, YBH, yes, but how? I know I should forgive, but how do we do that? This morning, I'm not going to try to give you simple answers, but I do want to give you a, a proven process to help us learn this, this process of forgiveness. Three words that I would like you to write down. Here's the words. The word is reveal, release, and replace. Let me, let me talk through those in a minute. We're talking about forgiveness here. The first one is to reveal, 
revealing my hurt, to sit down and physically make a list of those things that are still hurting you. When you hear that name of that person, that person comes to mind, you still have hurt and anger and, and anguish about that situation. Sit down and write it down. They hurt you. Write that. Put it down and make it, no excuses for their actions. Say, well, they were trying their best. Mom and dad were just trying their best. And they hurt you. That's the truth. Those words were cutting. Those words hurt you. You can't, you can't try to repress it and say, you know, it, it didn't happen or suppress it and say it's not that big of a deal. It did hurt. Make note of that. Reveal it. Let yourself hear yourself say these things that it, that it did hurt. That Some people say, I really want to get closure on this. Well, one man put it this way. There is no closure without disclosure. Until you're willing to admit that this did hurt. That's the first step. Reveal my hurt. Second, release my offender. Release my offender. The, the word forgive in one, one definition seems, means to let go, to, to release, all right? It's the idea of, of stop holding on to the hurt, truly forgive and to let it go. But, but just I'll never forget what they've done. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness is about choosing not to let that control you, not to let that be something you hold on to. It's still a choice. And it's not about waiting till they ask for forgiveness. They may never ask for forgiveness. They may never see their need to ask forgiveness. They may never even know they need it. It's for you forgiving them because remember, this is for you. You're the one that this bitterness is holding on to. It's for your benefit as well. And how often do you do that? Well, Peter asked that same question to Jesus. Look what Peter said. Matthew 18, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times. Uh, 77 times, or one version says seven times 70. What he's saying is just continually, it's ongoing. Forgiveness is not usually a one-time act. It's something that that feeling is going to come back and you have to release it again and release it again and forgive again and forgive again. Releasing your offender. And thirdly, replace. Replace my hurt with God's peace. Come to the realization that God never wastes a hurt. That's what Joseph did here. He recognized that God was going to take all that pain and suffering that other people had caused in his life, and he was using it for good. He was using it for, for something good. You say, if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook. Well, they, and they don't deserve that. Here's what's happening, is when you replace this with God's peace, you're letting God have the last word in that person's life instead of you. You're literally letting yourself off the hook because now you're not responsible. Make sure you get all that that they need and you take care of them. You're saying, God, they're in your hands now. You're releasing them and you're replacing that hurt with God's peace. You're replacing that hurt with who, who God is and what God wants to do. Listen how Joseph, verse 21, again, he said to them, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And, be, and he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. He spoke to their heart, literally is what they said. What he's saying is, guys, I have released this to him. It's in God's hands now. I'm not in God's place to condemn you. God will take care of you. And folks, remember that. God will balance the books. Leave it in God's hands and let his peace come to the point where you can actually speak kindly. You can actually help that person. Want the best interest for them again because you've left them in God's hands. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter number 12. Listen to what Paul said. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 19, he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Let God have the, the last word. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Am I in the place of God? No. Am I, who am I to condemn those who have hurt me? That's God's job. So my job is to reveal it, to release it, and ultimately replace my hurt with God's peace. That's what Joseph, that's, that's forgiveness. He was acknowledging that he wasn't in the place to condemn. He was letting God take care of that. He reserved that for him. But there's one other question that comes from that, am I in the place of God? And here's the one I want you to get. Joseph's life tells us this. Who am I to criticize God for the things I cannot control? One thing we learn from Joseph is that he had some very out-of-control situations in his life. Most of the stuff that we've talked about and you read in that story were out of his control. Being sold, being lied about, being forgotten, nothing he could do about those things. And folks, I don't know about you, but boy, that would leave me scratching my head saying, God, why me? This isn't fair. I, haven't, I don't deserve these kind of things. What, that's, that's the thoughts that go through our heads. One particular phrase in the story jumped out at me, chapter 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Does that seem like an oxymoron to anybody else? If, if I'm Joseph, I'm saying, God, you're really with me? And what am I doing here? If you're really with me, God, why didn't you get me out of this? I didn't do anything to deserve this. I was doing the right thing. I got lied about. God, you're with me? Is that really true? If you're with me, then why am I here? And why aren't you doing something about my problems? And, and I don't think anybody would have blamed Joseph for that reaction. But when we notice Joseph, when he reveals himself to his brothers, the first time, back in chapter 42, he reveals him there, and, and they, understandably, were a little bit shaken by that. In fact, the Bible says they couldn't speak. They were terrified by his presence. Now, again, maybe that in itself was a little bit satisfying for Joseph. I don't know. He was human. But Joseph goes on in that passage, and listen to what he says in chapter 45 and verse 7. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Look at this. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph had this wonderful grasp on the fact that God is working in the upper store. God is in control. He is sovereign. He is working. And down here in this mess of what we call life and where we're at, in his sovereign control that can't be shaken, I'm in this, in this world, but I understand that God is still at work. God has not let this out of his control. And I'm focusing, and the more we're able to live in this world, focusing on the fact that God is working a story, the more we do that, the more we're able to live in peace and we're able to understand the abundance that God has for us. But you say, but that is so difficult to do. It's difficult to forgive. It's also difficult to say, okay, God, I trust you, and I, I know you're in control. It's so difficult. So here's my question again. Yes, but how? How, do I, how can I get to this point of living without criticizing God or without complaining to him about where I am? I want to use the same three words again. Reveal, release, and replace. And I want to encourage you in this same process as you're struggling with, with those things that, are, that you want to complain and you're doubtful about. L listen to this. Re just like we started off, reveal my hurt. Understand this. God is not intimidated. God is not surprised by you when you say, God, I don't like this. God, that hurts. 
God, this is a tough spot. God's fine with that. Nothing about that bothers him because he knows what you're going through. He feels that. Reveal it, but maybe it's you. God knows, but maybe it's you that need to, to express it and, and to say, I don't, God, this, this is tough. This hurts. Second, release my need for an explanation. This may be the toughest one. I hear a lot of people say, if I just knew why this was happening, it would be so much better. Now, whether that's true or not, here's the point. You may never get that answer. You've got to release that need from yourself to have an explanation. We, we've talked about Joseph. He went from slave to second in command. But do you, and, and now we're talking in, in this point where he is, where he is in the place in his life in the, where he's now taking care of people. Do you realize the process from 17 to where he was able then to be the second? That, that was a 20-year process. 20 years before all of this started making sense and his dreams started coming true. That's a long time, isn't it? To be hurting, to be wondering, to be questioning 20 years. Or maybe it's like Job in the Old Testament. Job never got an answer from God of why he had to go through all that. Here's my point. God doesn't have to explain it to you. God is God and his upper story is real. And the low, but are you okay with the fact that God may not explain? Are you willing to release and say, God, I don't have to have the answer because I trust you. Release my need for an explanation. And then replace my doubts with praise or with words of confidence. That's, that's what I love about Joseph, what he said uh, to the idea of, 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 of rather than panic, he said to, about God, I trust you. Again, those words, chapter 45, God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, to save you. And then chapter 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. In the midst of all of his trouble, he continued, went back to the fact that I still say God is good, that God is in charge. That Job, we talked about earlier, he, he said this. This is how Job put it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. David, during some of his most troubling times, said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It's not about saying that doesn't hurt. It's not about saying I, I get it and it all makes sense to me, but it's still whatever you're going through, stop and say, God, no matter what, you're still good. I still trust you. This isn't fair. This doesn't make sense. But God, I believe in you. Let me give you another example from the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A guy by the name of Paul. Most of you have heard that name before. Great preacher of God. But here's a story Paul tells about his own life. He said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know what that thorn was. A lot of conjecture, if it's physical, was it emotional, was it people in his life, combination, we don't know. The answer is we don't know what it is, but it was serious. And in fact, listen, this is what Paul says, three times I pleaded, I begged the Lord to take it away from me. So what is Paul doing? First step, he's revealing his hurt, saying, God, please take this away. This hurts. This is bothersome. This is, I don't understand it. He pleaded with God to take it away. Hmm. But here's God's answer. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God said, no, Paul, I'm not taking it away. I'm not giving you a real explanation why it's even here. But listen to Paul's response. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was just a human like us. Joseph was a human like us. Job, David, they're humans like us. But they, they came to this understanding that God is God and I am not. Who am I to stand and criticize God for the things I can't control? But rather than that, I said, God, this hurts and I don't have to have an explanation, but I'm going to give you praise because I know, though I don't see it, somehow you are good and you are in control of all these things. Joseph, he was known for his dreams. He was known for his integrity He's known for his pres- the presence of God, for his forgiveness. But one last thing, never forget about Joseph, is he was known by Scripture for his faith. That, that word that we talk about, forgiveness and faith. We've already recognized how he believed in God in spite of the circumstances. In spite of what he was going through, he believed in God. He trusted him regardless of what he was going through. We also know that he believed in God for these visions, the voice that he heard from God. In fact, when uh, Pharaoh came to him and talked to him about interpreting his dreams, here's what he said in chapter 41. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He said, Pharaoh, this isn't me, it's God, but God will do it. I believe in him, I have faith in him. But the faith of Joseph continued right to the very end. If you're still with me in chapter 50 of Genesis, the book of Genesis ends, and right to the end is is the words of Joseph. Joseph is now 110 years old. He knows he's about to die. And he makes these incredible statements that tells us the dreamer that started in chapter 37 is still dreaming. To the very end, he's still hearing from God about what God wants for his life. And listen how this says in chapter 50, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me stop there. Last week, somebody in our life group made an astute observation. They said, listen, God gave the promised land as we know it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So why did they leave? How did they get there? Why did they have to go back? All of those are great questions, understanding of what God is doing. What Joseph is telling us, he doesn't know the details or the timing, but he's saying, this Egypt place is not your permanent home, guys. God has shown me that you will not be here forever. Us and our descendants, something is going to happen and you will not stay here. You will go back to the land that God promised to us. That was the dream, the vision from God. Look at what it, how he wraps it up. Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath saying, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Just for your own sake, would you just circle that last phrase because you're going to see that again. Will you please carry my bones up from this place? Take me back home whenever you go back to that place. Your descendants will not be here forever. In fact, God's record in Hebrews chapter 11, which is a record of faith, The one thing that Joseph is recognized for in his faith is this. And look at verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, and he gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Joseph, on his deathbed, 110 years old, gives a prophecy that we're going to find out takes over 400 years. But Joseph is working with God's vision to do exactly what God says. And so the story continues. And what God is saying is continuing on 
in our lives. So as we recap Joseph, there's some characteristics about his life that we should strive to emulate. We should strive to be people of vision that want to hear from God and go where he wants us to go. We should be people of integrity that regardless of what's happening, we're going to do the right thing. We should be people who are known because God's presence is working through our lives. And we should be people of forgiveness. Those people who have hurt us, understand that, that your life is imprisoned by those bitter, and, until you forgive. And we become people of forgiveness. But understand, none of that happens until we are, as Joseph was, we understand that we're people, we must be people of faith. The question is, do I really trust God? Do I trust God enough to forgive someone who has hurt me and leave them in his hands? And no longer hold, do I, do I trust God enough? Do I trust God to believe that he can forgive me of my sins? And do I trust God enough to believe that he can give me eternal life? Do I trust God? Do I trust God that even in the middle of circumstances that don't make sense, in the circumstances that hurt, circumstances that scare me, whatever the words are used, do I trust God enough to know that he is working all things for the good of those who love him? Do I really trust God? Do I have faith to believe enough to surrender my life into his hands and say, God, I'm all yours? Do I really trust God? Do I trust him enough to know that there can be life eternal. My sins can be forgiven. Do I trust him enough to realize that the only way that can happen is through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me? And do I trust him enough to come to him and say, God, please forgive me of my sins and save me through Jesus Christ? Do I truly trust God? Would you bow your heads with me this morning, please? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Do you trust God that he will forgive you? Do you trust God enough to forgive those who have hurt you? And do you trust God to know that he will only do what's good for your life? Do you trust God? What does that mean for us today? What has Joseph taught you about your life and what we should experience today? If you're here this morning and you honestly don't have a piece of, of forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. You don't have that confidence and that peace. Do you trust God enough to, to believe in his son? To believe that as a sinner you need a savior and that Jesus died and rose again for you. Do you trust him enough to say, God, be merciful to me, save me. Give me eternal life. Christian, if you know that already and you've accepted him, there's some people in your life that you need to to forgive oh but preacher you don't understand how bad they've hurt me do you trust God enough to let it go trust God enough to, to not be the God in their life the one that condemns and gets even do you, do you trust God enough do you trust God in the middle of whatever you're going through or maybe today you just need to be reminded that God is caring for you He's, it's not out of his control even though it's out of yours Maybe you just need to pause and say, God, I do trust you. Please give me strength, courage to continue on, even though this, this makes no sense at all. Father God, please speak to our hearts. There's one here without salvation. Please draw them to your, to your son.
Help them to come knowing that they, what they need is a relationship with you and may this be the day of their salvation. For Christians who need to work on just forgiveness and releasing the bitterness in their life, please, God, help them to come. And Father, I pray for those who are going through a situation that makes no sense. God, let them know that you are in control. Let them trust you. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Chris is going to sing in just a moment, and as he does, I, I invite you to spend some time talking to God and whatever he has spoken to you about. Maybe it is forgiving someone else. Maybe it's receiving forgiveness for yourself, or maybe it's just trusting him through a time that you don't understand. Spend some time talking to him. In fact, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, all right? Eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, Chris is going to sing. And if God has invited you, I'd love to have you come and pray. We'll have people here. Our deacons and others will be here to pray with you. If God has spoken to you today, I'd invite you to come and just let God do a special work in your heart this morning. As Chris begins to sing, God is moving. I pray that you'll speak to God today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long.